from Wyoming Public Media. This, 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 is, this is spoken. Spoken. Spoken words. Spoken words. This is spoken words. I'm Micah Schweitzer. I was always the one crying about animals dying, and uh, the worst insult was hurled at me, city girl, and I was not a city girl. <laughs> this time we're hearing from Jenny Forrester. Her new book, Narrow River, Wide Sky, is a memoir about growing up with her mother and brother in the rural town of Mancos, Colorado. Forrester's search for her own identity begins in earnest after her mother's accidental death. Here's Forrester reading from the book's opening chapter. My brother and I stood near the top of a sloping western Colorado cemetery, among the ghosts of pioneers with their upright gravestones on one side and the more recent ghosts on the other, their earthen beds marked with the metal stakes of the impoverished, considering where we should bury our mother, taken from us suddenly. We were in our twenties and not ready, not that anyone ever is. Our sweet mother, her skin of rose cream and cold callous hands, her warm soft heart, a cup of tea in a coffee place. Brian pointed toward Harge Gravel Mountain, away from the cream coffee-colored hills above the Eagle River. We looked at it from her future perspective, and we didn't like the narrowness of it. She liked expanses, the wider view. She'd suffered narrowness long enough. He walked to another spot and said, This is good. She can see New York Mountain from here. He turned his back, armored, facing away up over what most people would call mountains, being born children at high altitude. I don't know if this is the place. I wanted more time to make the right decision, permanent as it was. The grave digger, awaiting our decision for our mother's resting place, moved from foot to foot, his strong arms across his wide chest, and said, There's no room for anyone beside her. She wasn't married, we said, too much at once. He grimaced in frustration at our ignorance about the burial of kin and said, But you two can never be buried with her. There's no space for you as a family. What if she's alone, I said, as an unanswerable question. It's here, Jenny. This is where she has to be buried. Raised to be polite, our arguments were subtle, submerged. Molten like the landscape, constant pressure yet inseparably bound. Brian had always cherished authority, and I had come to question it. But, convinced by Brian and their shared underlying belief in the act of certainty, the man said, I'll get the backhoe. Forrester goes back to her childhood and her sense that her family's identity was at odds with the town's traditional expectations and values. Our family was always kind of trying to justify itself, like we are three people and there's not a father. And we're three people alone in this new place. And the people living in the place where most of the book talks about Mancus, Colorado. And in that place, there's this two-sheet newspaper that we used to get every week. <laughs> And a huge part of it was the obituary section. And in that section, it was always um, listing how many relatives the person had survived by, how many um, people the person was survived by. 
and what they did in their lives. And it was almost Norman Rockwellian in its design. It was a very churched town, and so the definition of family was important to them. Forrester also wrestles with the ways this same culture devalued women. Her brother fit in easily, but for her, it was a struggle. Another reviewer said that I showed myself to always be kind of a square peg, and I was always the one crying about animals dying, and the worst insult was hurled at me, city girl, and I was not a city girl. (laughs) I was born and raised in the same places, but my brother had this automatic way of fitting in. He was just really a tough kid. I think he's sensitive in a different way, and I'm sensitive in the way that was not in the pioneer mythology handbook. (laughs) Her memoir becomes a way for Forrester to challenge this mythology. I want to break that pioneer mythology to pieces, um, because I think it isn't serving us as a society, and I think it has done so much damage to a lot of people and to the environment. And I know that sounds stronger than it's portrayed in the book. In the book, I'm, I try to be a lot more soft and not nuanced at all, but I try to be poetic about what I'm saying. And so I know my being direct is a little harsher, but I think that we have come to a place where history is writing itself, that historians are correcting the mythological historical record of the United States. And I am really grateful and happy about that. But I think there are a lot of people who are not making that switch. And I would really like that to happen. I met someone at a, at a KOA campground and he said, and I don't know why this always happens to me, but, you know, we always end up talking politics. Maybe I do know why. But um, total stranger, there's there's a whole bunch of context. But he said that he voted for 45 because he has guns. And, like, that was it. And I thought, this is this is somebody who, who doesn't live in um, the Wild West. But it's very much a part of our Western mythology. And yes, I think that toxic masculinity is something that I wanted to really focus on in my poetic way, for sure. For Forrester, this mythology's toxic effects extend to the ways animals and land have been treated in the West. I'm always surprised when people move to more rural places and then they start complaining about the deer and the wild turkeys and the the rabbits. They start complaining about their abundance and I think, wow, they're not that abundant. And I mean, because I remember a much higher number and studies have been done that, um, and I, I, of course I can't name a study right now, but this, if people can Google this, of the wildlife in the last 40 years has disappeared from the planet. And so I think when we're lucky enough to live in wilder places with more animals, it's important for us to be really 
mindful, and I think we can be mindful. I saw two moose the other day here in Colorado, and I hadn't seen moose when I lived here for 21 years. And so when I see that, and then I see people running up to take pictures just like they would at Yellowstone, um, I worry for the animals, because we all know what happens when humans encounter animals. I think we should, we can do, we can just be mindful. And I think as far as killing and controlling numbers, I think we need to rethink all of those practices. Um, and I wish that I were more than a writer in order to make that happen. Forrester spent 20 years writing this memoir, but sees another in her future, using her love of writing to contribute what she hopes will be a more constructive way of living together in the New West. Because we have the skiing, outdoor adventure, mountain biking thing, right? And then we also have the agricultural ranching, which has changed drastically because of corporate influence on ranching practices. And then we've got ecology and how do we live as um, scientific thinking people like my daughter. How do we live in these spaces where traditionally the political lines are drawn really um, with with razor wire almost. Yeah, I I don't know. I'd, I'd love to continue to write towards these answers and illuminating how it is that we are living in the West as individuals. This episode was produced by Annie Osborne and Teo Basquiat. I'm Micah Schweitzer. Spoken Words is a collaboration between the University of Wyoming's MFA in Creative Writing program and Wyoming Public Media.